Good morning. I was, uh, what we had for devotions this morning, I was so touched and inspired, I wasn't sure why we still need a message. I was, um, yeah, very uh, inspirational to think about. Um, <clears throat> but for a message this morning, I titled the message, The World's Greatest Story. I was going to read there in Matthew 1, 18 and 25, but we read that this morning. I think I'll, I'll um, just not read that. <clears throat> but the world's greatest story in the Bible is told. It's the story of Jesus. And it never grows old. He was born in a manger, gave his life on the cross, brought hope and salvation to a world that was lost. Tis the world's greatest story that has ever been told, a story more precious than diamonds or gold. How this lone Galilean saved the world from its fall, that's the world's greatest story, greatest story of all. An old-fashioned story, <clears throat> yet it's ever so new. Though skeptics may doubt it, <clears throat> I believe it is true. Since the dawn of creation, you may search, but you'll find there's no greater story on the pages of time. This is a <clears throat> Christmas song that we used to sing in school, and I always enjoyed the message. It, it just thrills my soul to think of the message in it. He was born in a manger, gave his life on the cross. He brought hope and salvation to a world that was lost. It is a story, yet it's more than a story past. It is a living story of a Savior that came to bring hope and salvation to a lost and dying world. And we often hear, see quotes like, let's not forget the reason for the season. And that, what's meant by that, of course, is that let's not get so wound up with the festivities that we forget about Christ's birth. But I wonder if oftentimes, even then, we don't take time to realize the real reason for his birth. And the Bible refers to Jesus in the last book of Revelations, chapter 13, verse 8, as of a lamb that was slain since the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world. Bethlehem's baby was born to die from the foundation of the world, it says. That means from the beginning of time, before God made the world, he made the plan to save the world. Quoting someone else, though Jesus had a miraculous birth, though he performed many nature-defying wonders, and though he taught the most sublime truths ever proclaimed, none of these provide salvation, and none are the focal point of his ministry. The epicenter of all history, especially redemptive history, is the cross. Mankind needed a savior. God knew that mankind would choose to sin and would need a redeemer. <clears throat> Hebrews 9.22 says that without shedding of blood is no remission of sins. And the only thing that qualified, the only thing qualified to redeem us was the blood of the perfect sinless son of God. And that is the reason for Christ's birth. Some scriptures, Matthew one twenty one, says, And he shall bring forth his and she shall bring forth his son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. 
Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 5.31, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. To save us from our sins took more than the birth of Jesus. It required his death. He had to be born so he could die. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. <clears throat> it's more than just a neat story of the birth of a baby, way more. He left his home in glory to bring redemption's story. He didn't bring an army to help him on his way. He didn't bring an angel to praise him on his way. He didn't bring one piece of gold to buy some food to eat. He left it all to rescue me. He left it all to die on Calvary. He left it all. Not one comfort did he bring. Not his robe, not his crown, not 10,000 bowing down. Not one piece of jasper wall. He left it all to rescue me. Philippians 2, 6-11. Familiar verses, but... Says Jesus, it says who, being Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of his servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of that. And he will receive that. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Whether we choose to bow ourselves to him now and confess him now, or whether we one day we will, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should every tongue should confess. <clears throat> there's a there's a scarlet thread of redemption that is woven through the Bible through the ages of time since the beginning of time through the Bible. Scarlet thread of redemption. And there's many times when we see that's the old test the whole Old Testament. It 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 speaks. It points of the coming points to the coming Savior. It speaks about. It's what the people anticipated. It's what they were. The saints, the Old Testament saints, lived for, longed for, yearned for. And, and, and it comes up time and time again. We see this thread of redemption pointing towards Jesus, the coming Savior. But immediately after the fall, there was already a promise given. In uh, <clears throat> Genesis 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It referring to the woman, or rather the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And Isaiah 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself 
shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that Emmanuel, there in Matthew, God with us. <clears throat> well, one thing we notice here is that God did not say, and I know last Sunday uh, Floyd preached a message on uh, the incarnation, and we talked about that this morning in our Sunday school quite a bit. But God did not say the seed of Adam or the seed of man. This specifically says here, the seed of the woman. He will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. Adam Clark says the person is to come by the woman, and by her alone, without the concurrence of man. The address is not to Adam and Eve, but to Eve alone, and it was in consequence of this purpose of God that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Christ is no doubt what God meant when he said, It shall bruise thy head. That was the immediate promise of a remedy for this sin problem that was now here. In this verse, we break it down a little more. What was he saying? And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. He was obviously referring to more than the enmity between the woman and the snake. Although, you know how I feel about that. I uh, <clears throat> do think that there's still something there. The reason that most men have a fear of snakes. But it was more, that's the enmity that, that, he, that he put there, or that is there, is more than, uh, more than the snake. Again, Adam Clark puts it this way. He said, it is evident that Satan, who actuated this creature, is alone intended in this part of the prophetic declaration. God in his endless mercy has put enmity between men and him, Satan that is, so that though all mankind loves his service, yet all invariably hate himself. Were worried otherwise, who could be saved? A great point gained towards the conversion of a sinner is to convince him that it is Satan he has been serving, that it is to, that it is to him he has been giving up his soul, body, goods. He starts with horror when this conviction fastens on his mind and shudders at the thought of being in league with the old murderer. So that enmity was put there by God. This striving. So we have this enmity. We have this striving either in our sins or against sin. Either we are trapped and powerless, a slave to a cruel master, or we are, or we are resisting and striving against sin. It's this enmity. There is this battle. <clears throat> but he says, next it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. We've already looked at who this it is. It's speaking of the Redeemer that, we bo that will be born through a virgin. But what does it mean that it shall bruise thy head? In Hebrews 2, 14, 16, says, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He also became flesh and blood. We talked about that this morning, how can Jesus can be all God, and, and yet he's all man, and he's, he's all man, he's all God. It's something that we, we can't, we can try and, 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 and figure it out and try to, but we just, we have to believe it by faith. It's beyond our comprehension. <clears throat> we take it by faith. He became flesh and blood, that through death, his death on the cross, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. See? 
but, but he, uh, he, that he destroyed, so that he might destroy him that had the power of death. When Satan's head was bruised, he lost his power. His power was destroyed. He will never be able to get the upper hand. Colossians 2.15 says that Christ has spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And in 2 Timothy 1.10 it says he has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Thou shalt bruise his heel. Satan, that is. We are bruised by sin. We are. We will... Uh, we, we will, our lifelong battle against sin, we will, we will have a lifelong battle against sin. Yes, we will. And because of sin, I've said this before, because of sin, when, when sin entered the world, death passed upon all men, the shadow hangs over the world now. It was a beautiful creation. It was perfect. It was, it was right. But now this shadow, the shadow of death, was, it hang, hangs over us. And that is the struggle against sin, the cause of all the pain and sorrow in the world. But although Satan has bruised the heel of humanity, Jesus Christ has bruised his head, has bruised Satan's head. He's took away his power. And in Isaiah 9, verse 2, he used this verse before, it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine. Shall we have this shadow hanging over us? The shadow of death, but there's a light that shines that penetrates this shadow. Satan's head is bruised. He does not have the power. <clears throat> that is why, as we walk through this valley, of, if we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, this life, we don't have to fear, for he is with us. It's rod and staff that comfort us. Jesus Christ triumphed over Satan. And in that sense, the victory has already been won. There is a battle, but unlike the battle in Ukraine or Israel, in this battle, the victory is already determined. And that is our hope. He brought hope and salvation, as the song stated, to a lost and dying world. He forever bruised Satan's head. He won the victory. The Greek word for hope is elpis, which means to anticipate, usually with pleasure, expectation, or confidence. And the Old Testament saints, like I said, they placed their hope in the fact that there was a Redeemer coming, a Messiah, the promise that was given. We could have, there's many more promises. I talked about the one there in, right after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, but, but all through the Old Testament we have that thread. <clears throat> but it, like I said, it, takes, it took blood. It took sinless, the blood of the sinless Son of God. But the Old Testament saints, they placed their hope in that fact and they believed it, and they acted upon that belief. The promise was not just something that they thought might happen. It would be nice if it would happen. But they were convinced of it. We read that in Hebrews 11, verse 13, says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They, they didn't experience the promise, they didn't, but they, they believed them. They received the promises, it says, and they were persuaded of them. They were convinced, they embraced them, and they, their, their lives were shaped according to that. <clears throat> In Psalm 130... 
verses 5 to 8. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord, more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is planches redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. We see the, 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 the anticipation, the yearning of the hearts of the, of, of the Old Testament. This was, I'm not sure whether David who wrote this psalm, but that it gives us a picture of, of the, the yearning of their hearts. For us, this promise, this hope has become reality. The Redeemer has come. That's why there's so much joy about the birth of Jesus. The Redeemer has come. We should be joyful. And I don't want to be speaking about his death and tying all that in. I don't want to take away from the joy of his birth. It is a joyful time. But that's why. That's why. Because Jesus had to be born so he could die. Take our sins upon himself. So that we can, we can be freed. And we can, this hope that we now have. Just as it was necessary for the Old Testament saints to embrace the promise of the coming Messiah who would bring salvation and to place their hope and trust in him, so also it is necessary for us to place our hope and trust, our confidence in the Savior who has now been here and has brought salvation. Their hope was in the fact that there was a Messiah coming, a Redeemer coming. Our hope is in the fact that the Messiah has been here and his promises to us and that he is returning again. He's returning as judge. A living hope is way deeper than a wishful desire. First Peter 3 says that he, according to his abundant mercy, had begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is our lively hope. This is, and this is our lively hope, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, for those who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our lively hope. We have a lot to be, we, we should be rejoicing that Jesus came to bring us this hope, hope and salvation. Hebrews 6, 18 that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. We lay hold on, we lay hold upon that hope. It's our, it's our anchor. It's the anchor of our soul, sure and steadfast. Romans eight twenty four. Paul is speaking here in context of us eagerly waiting for Christ's return for the redemption of our bodies. But he says, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It's hope. Ephesians talks about a time when we had no hope. Chapter 2, verse 12 says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh. How? By the blood of Christ. <clears throat> the hope, can't just the, the hope that Christ, that we have through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, 
should make our heart glad. It should thrill our hearts. <clears throat> Proverbs 13:12 says that hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope is a gift from God to the human heart, and even to the unbeliever. <clears throat> we talked this morning in our Sunday school, school class a little bit about the, even the unbeliever that follows the principles of God's Word will benefit from it, experience a blessing to a certain extent. <clears throat> hope is a gift from God. If we, if we take away hope, if we, if we think of the thousands of people that endured let's say the concentration camps of World War II, and even now, the thousands of people in the refugee camps in the Middle East, the people in Ukraine and Israel, it is the hope of being reunited with family, the hope of a new start, the hope that things will get better that gives them the strength to go on, right? The strength to endure. It, it's, it's that hope. We have that hope that glimmers, whether we're, even to the unbeliever, I think even the hope that they have is a gift from God. It, there's a shadow over this world, but it's not totally dark, right? Satan doesn't have all the power. But apart from Christ, we cannot experience this gift in its fullest, richest measure. Proverbs 14, verse 32 says that the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous has hope in his death. Think of Job. My flesh shall rest in hope, knowing he knew that you know that's when we die. That's not the end. Proverbs eleven seven says, "When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. His his expectation shall perish, and the hope of the unjust man perishes." See, that's where it ends for the unbeliever. Many people, when they have lost all earthly possessions and family connection, have despaired of life. Many people, many believers have lost everything and have still found the strength to continue because of their hope in Christ. So just having hope is good, but hope in Christ is what saves us. How we view God and recognize his hand in our difficult circumstances makes a difference whether we will despair or whether we will continue to hope. Many, many times that hope carries us through. Hope carries us through. Well, let's be careful what we hope for. Dis discontentment is a big problem for us. Seems like either we look forward, either we look back to the good old days, or we look forward when hopefully things will go better, right? We, we have a hard time, I do, finding satisfaction right now where we're at. Enjoying life Enjoying life now. <clears throat> we always think, you know, once we reach this stage or once we accomplish this or what, or then we look back and we reminisce about the good old days. And, and I'm not saying that's all wrong, but we hope to make more money next year. We hope situations change. But are we sure we can handle what we hope for? Hope is very essential in our Christian walk, but in glory, hope will not be needed. The songwriter had it right when he penned the verse, faith will vanish into sight, hope be emptied in delight, but love in heaven will shine more bright. 
But a very sobering fact, I read that verse. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of the unjust man perisheth. When we draw our last breath, our destiny is sealed. In hell, there is no hope. There is no hope. That would be the most... I don't know how to put words to how that must feel. A million years will not even be the beginning. There is no glimmer of hope. There's not a glimmer of hope left. This is not going to change. This is the way it's going to be. And, and, and we measure things by time, right? But in eternity, according to Revelation 10, 5, time will be no longer. We can't grasp life without time to measure it by. We just can't grasp it because there's just it's not something that we're familiar with. It's, yeah. In eternity, with no glimmer of hope. And we desperately need it. But those in eternal glory will have no need of hope. Those in eternal darkness will desperately need it, and it will not be there. First <clears throat> Thessalonians 5, eight says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Put it on as a helmet. Things get rough. Times get hard. Relationships get tough. Have that. Put it on as a helmet. Can we remember that? Well, I need to remember this. Put it on as a hope. Of, put on it as a helmet. The hope of salvation. <clears throat> Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 15.13 Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This hope that we have because of Christ gives reason to be filled with joy as we consider his birth and the real reason behind his birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It truly is the world's greatest story. I want to read Revelations 4 and 5 and it's closing. read uh, the whole chapter. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was was as it were of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on a throne. And And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne, and sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, 
clothed in white raiment, <clears throat> and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And, and what, what we see here is the four and twenty elders, and I don't know who they are. Some people think they represent the churches, which would, make, which would fit. But I don't know for sure, who they are, what they had done. They had done something honorable, something worthy to receive a crown, right? But when they worship Christ, who is worthy of so much honor, they feel so unworthy that they take their crowns off and cast them at the feet of the one who is really worthy. And I think that will be us. We sing that song. I like that song. It has a phrase in it. I'll exchange my cross for a starry crown. We look forward to that. I look forward to that. Getting rid of this cross. Win our final battle. Receiving our crown. But when we worship Christ in eternity, we will feel so unworthy. I believe we're going to take our crowns off. They're going to come off. But we'll cast them at Jesus' feet. Because in the light of what He's done, on our behalf, we are unworthy. That crown is nothing. Let's read the next chapter. And I saw on the right hand of Him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. See, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, that's not here, but it's in another 13.8, I think. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying. Remember we read about every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's kneel for prayer.